0: So tonight we are looking at part two of the book of, goodness, we make that joke so often you actually start to forget what it's actually pronounced, Philemon. We're going through part two of Philemon. We covered the first half of the book last week, and really, these last two Wednesdays, they're kind of a a bigger overarching study that we've been doing, talking about peculiar people. Now, can anybody tell me without looking at their sheet what it means to be peculiar? Eyes, eyes. Special There you go. You looked, didn't you? Or you just, never mind. I almost just made a joke. (laughs) Special, particularly special. And not only that, look, you can look at your outline now. It means one's own property belonging to a person and to him only. On Sunday mornings for the past three weeks, we've been looking at other various characters, I guess you could say for lack of a better term, that show up throughout the New Testament And what made them peculiar, what showed, what was demonstrated in their lives that they belonged to someone else, particularly that they belonged to God. Their life was not their own. They came to a spot and a point in their lives where they realized that this eternal life that I have, this salvation that I have acquired because of the blood of his dear son, It's not for me just to go on and enjoy life, although that is a byproduct of it. It's not the primary reason. The primary reason you have eternal life is because Jesus Christ only lived 33 years of His. And the moment of salvation when He put His Spirit inside of you, the Bible says that you became crucified with Christ. You're dead. Nevertheless, you live. Yet not you, but Christ which liveth in you. And the life which you now live in the flesh, you now live by the faith of the Son of God. Salvation, and this is really where we need to have a a, a shift of perspective here. Salvation is really Jesus Christ living his life through you. Every single day, everywhere you go. Everyone you interact with, it is a chance and an opportunity for Jesus Christ to live. You're a conduit. (laughs) That's why he says you are the temple. You are the tabernacle. That's why he says in Colossians 3 that if we be risen with Christ, we are to seek those things which are above. We are to set our affections there and not on things on the earth. Why? Because we're dead. Our life is hid in Christ. And that's what he wants to do. And so we found out that there are some people in the New Testament that they came to a point in their lives where they realized my life is not my own for me to do whatever I want. It's his. So that means every decision we make, where am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to college? Who am I going to date? Who should I date? Should I even be dating at all? Who should I be hanging out with? What should I do as a job? What should my career be? All of these decisions, all of the mundane or big decisions you make in life should all be filtered through. God, what do you want to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? And the book of Philemon is no different. Last week, we looked at three characters that show up in this book. And I kind of, I don't know if you guys recall or not, or maybe you still have your study sheets on you, but we ended last week's study sheet. There was a a letter C on the application that said more to the story. And I didn't really get the chance to kind of fully dive into everything, but I wanted to really go into this, this whole picture that why is this book in here? We kind of talked about it in our application, but does anybody remember from last week, why would God choose this tiny little one-chapter book that really probably wasn't even supposed to be, according to Paul's mind, a book of the Bible at all, but it was more like a personal letter to a friend? Why would God put this in here for you and I to read here in 2022? Anybody remember what stood out to you from last week? What is it that, why is it that God had this book in here? Straight to the point, absolutely. Although I think you're thinking of Mark from this past Sunday, because that was the point of his gospel. It is straight to the point. But what's going on in this letter, Kendall? Um, <clears throat> Philemon's servant Onesimus ran away, and then he got saved in prison with Paul, and Paul's asking him to like take him back and yeah, him. yeah. It's a beautiful picture of reconciliation. It's a beautiful picture of when there's two opposing parties within the church that maybe they're in conflict with each other, how you can kind of come together and reconcile. And I love it. I didn't plan this out at all, but I love how we started Philemon last Wednesday. This past Sunday, we looked at John Mark and how he quit the ministry and how it caused this big rift between Paul and Barnabas that the contention was so sharp between them that it literally almost caused a church split, that's how intense it was the Bible says, that it was so sharp between them that they had to go their separate ways and here's Paul, towards the end of his life, having been through an altercation himself with another believer here he's starting to figure out huh, you know what I think I need to be a mediator. I need to be an advocate on behalf of this runaway slave, this runaway servant, so that his master is kind to him, so that he's benevolent to him, so that he's loving to him. I think I need to interject myself here, not to be nosy, not to try to to pull strings and be and show favoritisms and just get my buddy side on this. No, I need to be impartial, and I need to reconcile this difference between these two people. Because... I've been through something similar. About 20 years before, Paul says, I was through something very similar with that guy over there in the corner of the jail cell with me. As we saw this past Sunday, who's in the jail with him as he's writing this letter? John Mark. The very same guy who caused the rift between Paul and Barnabas 20 years prior. And that reminds me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says that we who have been through anything, whether it's a trial or whether it's just life circumstances, experiences, we are there to be able to console and comfort someone else. You know, Heather even just kind of mentioned it with you, Walker, about everything you've been through in this past summer, how much sense it makes, how much you, you identify with what it means for it to be in the hospital and to receive a card and how much that helps you. it's the same thing with you guys whatever situation or scenario you found yourself in whether it be a breakup whether it be a loss of a friend whether it be a divorce whether it be a rough circumstance that you've been through in your life whatever you've gone through God wants to take that and use that to help somebody else who's gonna go through a similar situation than you that's why we're the body of Christ that's what makes us a peculiar people not that we keep those things to ourselves but that we're ministering to the body. That's the kind of devotional application as to how it applies to you and me. But the whole more to the story, why this book is predominantly in the Bible, is because this is a picture of what happened to each and every single one of us in here, if you've received Christ as your Savior. That really is the gist of the entire book. Everything that we've been seeing, and we kind of touched on it last week, but everything we've been seeing has been a picture as to what happened to your life if you're in here today and you're saved. I decided to go ahead and put it as, I guess, your intro on your outline here. But look at Philemon Part 2. For review, letter A, again, last week we saw Paul the Mediator and Paul the Advocate but we see here in part one, uh, from review from last week, we see that there's the man in the mansion. Who do you guys think that represents if you were here last week? Go ahead and shout it out. Philemon. Philemon. He's the man in the mansion. He's a picture of God the Father. Check this outline out on your, on your page. We saw in verse 5 that he was righteous. Can I get a reader for that? Jake. Hearing of thy love and faith was us toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. He was righteous. He had the love of Christ. He had the faith that, that, that changes your life. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He was a righteous man towards the Lord and towards all saints. He was a righteous man. Not only that, but he was wealthy. Can I get a reader for verse 2? Jack. And to our beloved of and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Verse 7, another reader. Dustin. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the vows of the saints are refreshed by the. He obviously had some wealth that he was able to help saints that were in need financially speaking. AJ, take verse 11. Which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to the and to me. Again, you got to separate yourselves from the times. It was a different uh, economy back then. They had servants. They had slaves. And of course they were kind to of their slaves. Don't think civil war error or anything like that. No. But he had, he had profits that he was losing because Onesimus ran away. When Onesimus ran away, it hurt this wealthy owner. It hurt him when the person whom he had was no longer under his watch care. Philemon was wealthy. He was righteous. Look at bullet point 3. We saw already that he was a caring homeowner. We saw that from the verses we just read. But not only that, he was a man who had been wronged. He was wronged. And man, if that's not a picture of God the Father, I don't know what else is. Psalm 51.4. This is David saying, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. You know when David wrote Psalm 51? Hmm? After his sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery with her and where he had King David. Yes, that King David, where he committed adultery with a woman who was not his wife and then had her husband killed to cover it up. Uh, That sounds to me like there are more than two people that were sinned against. But no, you see, this is a beautiful verse, because this goes to show that, yeah, although we might wrong each other in this room, you might wrong your parents regularly, all sin is ultimately against who? God, all sin. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You see, when we stand before God, or if you were to stand before God and you don't have a sin bearer, you don't have a mediator, you don't have an advocate, you're not going to have word one to speak. He's going to be righteous and justified when He judges because we are in the wrong. He's the man in the mansion. And number two, we see the man in the mess. Who is that? Onesimus, the runaway. He's a picture of man, a picture of all of mankind. First bullet point, we already saw he was a slave. Second bullet point, he desired freedom. And read it for verse 15. Go ahead, Caitlin. Or perhaps he therefore departed for the has received him forever. Man, he desired freedom. He wanted to escape. He wanted to escape and to be free. But we're going to find that actually didn't lead into more freedom. It led to more slavery. He was an unprofitable servant. That's us. The Bible says that any righteousness that we can muster up, and we try to use that in order to gain favor with God in this flesh, the Bible says in Isaiah 64 that it's like filthy rags. You're just offering over filthy, dirty rags to your king. That's unprofitable. Fourth bullet point, his quest for freedom found him imprisoned. Man, there are people who try so often to become free. They want to get rid of the pain they feel inside. They want to get outside of their mind and the thoughts and the voices that are constantly going on in their minds. So they try to numb the pain. They try to get rid of the voices in their minds by seeking this new high or going to that new thrill. Or even for some people, church can be a high and a thrill they'll go to church to try to get rid of that pain and to numb all of that and to mute all of those voices inside their head. And you know what? It just leads to more bondage when they're running instead of submitting under the hands of the man in the mansion. It's just more imprisonment, more bondage. Next point, in desperation he received God's liberating grace. And lastly, as Caitlin just read, he is eternally secure look again at verse 15 for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him for how long forever, forever. there's no kicking him out this time and Paul's saying he's not going to run away again that's not going to happen but not only that in John chapter 10 what ah jump up three bullet points his quest for freedom found him in prison again now, Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. We're born into this life as sinners. We're born into the hands of a cruel taskmaster, Satan, our father, the devil. The Bible says, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That was the cross reference there. Now, eternal security, John 10, 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I give unto them eternal life. Understand, if salvation could be taken away from us after we received it, it would no longer be eternal. It ceases to be eternal. Christ says, present tense, I give unto them eternal life. It's unending, it's never ending, it's everlasting. That's what eternal actually means. But we're not done with the verse yet. He goes on and says, and they shall never perish. If someone can enter into a personal relationship with Christ and be saved, and then they lose their salvation and then they die, then they would what? Perish. Jesus is saying for the second time in this verse, when I give you eternal life, you will never perish. But he's not done with the verse. He says at the end of it, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What does any man mean? Don't overthink it. Anyone. Anyone. That includes yourself. That includes anything you do, you think, you say. Any man. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I love it. Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful two verses to end that amazing chapter about who we are as Christians now that we've entered into a relationship with Christ. And he says that I am persuaded that neither death, nor hell, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. When you have eternal life, it is yours. You have it because it's eternal and you're never going to perish. Neither is anyone going to pluck you out of his hand. That's a picture of the man in the mess. That's a picture of us after we receive the liberating grace of God. And point three, the man in the middle. Who is it? Paul. Paul. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of curiosity, was anybody picking up on all this stuff last week when we were kind of going through it? I was trying to save it to the end, but there were a couple little tidbits that were going on through there. This is the picture that it's paying. This is the reason why Philemon is in our Bibles. To reveal to us just the great, beautiful picture that takes place when we, born into sin, born into bondage, just like the Israelites were in the book of Exodus. And we needed a deliverer to come and to deliver us out of the hands of a cruel taskmaster and into the arms of the everlasting Father. Point one. Paul was a prisoner for the gospel's sake, just like Jesus Christ. Jesus made himself of no reputation, but he took upon him the form of a what? A servant, a slave. And was made in the likeness of men. And he became a prisoner for you and me. Not only that, but he intercedes to the wealthy homeowner, God the Father, for we unprofitable servants. And no, I wasn't 100% of whether it's we or us. But since us sounded more right, I figured that us isn't the right way. So I put we. So those of you grammar Nazis, you can correct me later. Or just scribble it out and put us. But I'm not sure which one it is. He intercedes to the wealthy homeowner for we unprofitable servants. And isn't that just like our king? Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. It doesn't matter how far down the road you've gone. It doesn't matter how deep into sin you've gotten. It doesn't matter what you do. God is able to save them even to the uttermost. Why? Because it's what He lives for. That's how this verse literally ends. Seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He intercedes on our behalf. He got in the way. He took the hit for us. Took our death. Paid our debt as we'll soon see. And that's what Paul was doing. He's interceding. Yeah, sure. This is a great picture of how to reconcile Believers who are fighting, when you become an impartial party and you get in the way of two friends, we're like, hey guys, we got to cut off the bickering, got to cut off the fighting. There's more at stake here than this. That's what we do, because that's what Christ did. Fourth bullet point, or third rather, He will do nothing, nothing without the householder's permission. Look at verse 14. He says, but without thy mind would I do nothing, Philemon. That thy benefit should not be as a word of necessity, but willingly. Will you willingly take him in, Philemon? Look, if you don't want it, fine, okay, I will abide by your wishes. And isn't that just like God the Son? He said in John six thirty eight, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's Paul. And it should be each and every single one of us. And lastly, he asked the rebellious to be received as he would. Look at verse 12. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels. Paul looked at Phile- or at Nonesimus and he's like, hey, this guy's not a runaway slave anymore. We're simpatico, we're padres. Padres? Come, padres. There we go. There we go. We're manos. We're partners. And that's what Jesus... Did you know that that's what Jesus Christ sees you as? According to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children... And can somebody remind me? Does anybody know John 1:12? As many as received him, to them gave he power to become... Older. The sons of God. Close. And if children, then heirs... Uh, Who's an heir? H-E-I-R, not E-R-R-O-R. I probably should have clarified that. What's an heir? Someone who will take over or get something. Someone who inherits, in this case, inherits the throne, inherits a kingdom. Christ, he's in that seed of David. He's in that lineage of David. He is going to be the rightful king of Jerusalem one day. But did you notice how he says, if we are children, then we're heirs. We are heirs of God, and we are joint heirs with Christ. He sees you and I as heirs with Him together, because in eternity you and I will be ruling and reigning with Him if you're saved. If so be we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. And may be also glorified together. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. This is what you and I are to be doing every single day at school, every single day at work, to intercede, to mediate, to be an advocate on behalf of runaway slaves, and to point them the way back to their wealthy, righteous house owner, to the wealthy, righteous God the Father, That's what He wants. That's what we looked at last week. Now in letter B, as we wrap up this book, we're going to see Paul the substitute. He was a mediator. He was an advocate. Now we're going to see how he is the substitute. Another picture of Christ who took our spot, took our death. Look at me in verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner... He's talking to Philemon. Receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, if he owes you anything, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. Uh, You ought to do some digging throughout the Paul's epistles and letters, by the way, because that's a significant verse right there. You know the book of Romans... Wasn't it written by Paul? The book of Romans, one of the biggest monumental just columns and pillars of the New Testament. It's where we get all of our doctrine for today in the church. It's where we find powerhouse verses like the Romans road. It is the hand map. It is the, 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 the document of systematic theology upon which everything is built. And that book was dictated by a helper of Paul's. Paul spoke, and the guy wrote it down. Because as you do some comparing Scripture with Scripture and some cross-references, you know what you'll find? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And as you cross-reference that from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you kind of get the idea that his eyesight, or maybe he was going blind, or or if there was something that was actually going wrong with his eyes, you kind of get the notion that he wasn't seeing too good by the time he was getting close to the end of his life. So he had to have somebody else write the book of Romans, and possibly even one or two other areas as well. But this was so important to Paul that he made sure that he wrote this letter with his own hand. When his strength was failing him, when his eyesight was going, not to mention all the cruelties and the persecution he had been through, he cared so much about this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus working out for the cause of the ministry that he made certain that he put some skin in the game that he made certain that Philemon (sighs) Onesimus, i got to tell you I don't know if this is going to work I might send you back there and you still might lose your head but I'm going to put everything I can to persuade him with my words that he takes you back in if it means me through pain having to write this letter myself I'm going to do it because I care about you that much You have that kind of a heart and an attitude for the people in this room. The next six months will be exactly as they have been the past six months. Virtually no issues. Virtually. Minor squabbles maybe, but they'll take care of themselves and that's the way it should be. And if there is someone that you are still having a beef with or a grudge with, if you're fighting with, you're not talking to anymore, you guys just say hi and wave in the hallway and make it awkward whenever you're in groups for activities and stuff like that, then work it out because there's more at stake than whatever little squabble's going on. There's work to be done and our personal preferences can't get in the way of that. He says again in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Again, as he said, if Onesimus owed Philemon anything, Paul would pay it. But note how he ends this. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. I love it. Paul's a mediator, he's an advocate. He's a substitute. He is impartial when it comes to this. But he ain't afraid to drop a... I told you so. He ain't afraid to drop a... You know, I'll pay this back, but... Do I really need to go publicly into talking about how you owe me? Because keep in mind, as we saw last week, this letter was to be read in front of the entire church. That was where Philemon held his church in his house. And also... Well, I'll save that for the end. It was going somewhere else, too. Can you imagine that? Paul just dropping that publicly? <laughs> yeah. So, on your outline, Paul was determined to pay the servant's debt as he reminded Philemon of their bond and friendship. And and I don't want what I just said the last two minutes to get lost in that. I believe when Paul mentioned this right here, he's saying this as a testimony to how close of a friend Philemon really was to him. You know how when you have someone that you're just really, really close with, you could be a little more straightforward? You can cut to the chase, so to speak. You don't have to kind of preface things or, or just kind of like set the stage and as I talked about last week, giving a crap sandwich where you like compliment somebody, man, what an awesome hoodie. I love that little, oh look at the little tiger on it. Hey listen, you've really been sucking a lot lately at doing the sales, so I need you to go ahead and call these customers back and just do a better job because it's what I'm paying for. But hey, great shirt, man. Look at the kitty on there, good job. But seriously, call the customers. That's what, if you guys remember, those of you who weren't here, that's what a crap sandwich is in the sales world, where you kind of set the stage, you're kind of buttering up at first to really get to it. That's not Paul and Philemon here. He kind of was at the beginning there, but here he's kind of just dropping a truth bomb where he's like, I don't need to go into all the ways that you owe me. Whether that means that Philemon got saved as a direct result of Paul, and he's talking about that, or if it was something else, we don't know. We get to ask them one day though. This is a testimony of their friendship. And Paul was determined to pay that servant's debt, just like our king. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. And honestly, that's a verse that each and every single one of us that are disciples in here should have memorized. But don't miss verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for how many people? All, not some all, to be testified in due time. You guys know what a ransom is? It's a payment that's made. It's a it's a payment that's made in order to get something in return. It's like a blackmail. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom to pay our debt. And Paul was willing to go that extra step and that extra mile to pay for whatever damages. Onesimus would have caused. And we see here in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, very similar verses, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what Paul was willing to do, to pay the debt so that this could occur, so that there could be peace amongst everyone in Philemon's church and in this other church, as we'll soon see. And that's what needs to happen here. We should go as far as it takes in order to make things right between us. We should go as far as it takes and do whatever the cost to make sure there's a bond of peace. There's a friendship, endeavoring. It should be a challenge. It should be a mission to us to keep that And Colossians 3, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. As a side note, for those of you guys who are taking notes, anytime you see that word perfect or perfectness, it's always talking about maturing in your Christian walk. We're not going to be perfect because we have this body of the flesh. And until that day comes where we get a new glorified body, then things will be different. But perfect and perfectness, whenever you see Paul talking about that in the New Testament, he's always wanting us to strive to be more mature, to grow. And you know what's interesting? Anybody in here still growing physically? That should be just about all of you. What, what has happened the last 10, 15 years some of you guys aren't even 15 years old. What's happened like the last 10 years of your life that you would probably remember anytime you grow? It hurts. Growing pains. You can look at... You guys don't experience growing pains? Really? No. Shin splints, knees hurting for no reason whatsoever. No. Hate You? My knees hurt for no reason. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that's I remember them. I hated it. I'm like, when's this going to end? My boys are going through it Like every now and then whenever they're hitting a the growth spurt. They always have pain and they're always whining and they can't sleep, so you have to give them pain meds. And it gives them to the sleep. No. <laughs> Anywho. I also remember being celebrated if I hit like a new height. Well, there you go. Yeah, okay. Maybe I could, I could probably use that. You get celebrated when you hit a new growth spurt. Well, maybe not. I'm trying to think how I could work that in spiritually, but now I'm all I'm thinking of is just like you get a trophy for everything now. (laughs) I'll come back to that one maybe. But you can look at growth pain or growing pains, and you're like, "Man, this stinks. This hurts. This is not enjoyable right now." We often look at it like that, and we don't look at the other side of the equation, which is, "Hey, at least you're growing." I've been able to reach the top shelf now. Whenever whenever you are in the process of being perfected, whenever you are in the process of maturing and growing in your spiritual walk, there's going to be pain. It will come from those whom you love most. Sometimes it's self-inflicted pain because of your own decisions or actions or words that you speak that get you into the trouble you're in. Learn from it and grow thereby. And the more you grow, the more pain you'll have. But you're being perfected. One day that pain will end. No one likes pain. James even talks about that. No one, or I think it's actually Hebrews 12. Read both chapters. They're both good on trials. No one likes it. No one enjoys it when you're going through pain. But at least you're growing. Change in perspective. A shift in perspective. When there's pain amongst us, grow from it. Learn from it and grow from it. Number two. Look at verses 20 and 21. Yea, brother, Ph- or Paul writes, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. I love it. Paul's having confidence, and he knows that when Philemon reads this letter and he sees Onesimus, he knows that not only is Philemon going to follow through with what Paul's saying, he's going to do above and beyond the call of duty that's what Ephesians 3.20 says if you want to write that down unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us God is in the business of taking our faith taking our sacrifices taking what we lay at his feet and answering prayers above and beyond all that we can imagine if we let the power that's in us Work. If we're not going to let the power of the Spirit of God work in us, we're not going to see Him do things that are inexplicable. We're not going to see Him do things that go beyond human comprehension. It'll just be a regular, mundane Christian life. I know, in theory, that sounds great to us, living a mundane Christian life. Coming to church every Sunday and Wednesday, reading our Bibles. Doing activities, doing fun things in the summertime. But man, real growth only happens when there's pain in your life. I won't belabor the point, but we looked through at church history not too long ago. The biggest time the church grew, you don't even have to know church history, just read the book of Acts. The biggest time the church grew was when they went through opposition and persecution, it grew. Because people, when they're going through immense trials and persecution, their eyes get off of themselves and they get focused on this book. No, we don't have time. I'll put it in another lesson. I was going to take you somewhere. When you're going through the midst of it, when you're going through the fire, the fiery furnace, the lion's den that's where you get an opportunity to let your light shine the brightest. Because what you don't realize is that while you're in the midst of that fiery furnace, not only is there another man likened unto the Son of God right there in the midst of the fire with you, but there's onlookers, just like there was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you're in the lion's den, and you have ravening lions about ready to devour you and just eat you alive, there's onlookers The king's coming back to see, are you still alive, Daniel? People watch when you go through trials. There is no better opportunity to let your light shine than when you're being persecuted, when you're going through a time of testing. Don't shy away from the pain. And especially when it comes to reconciling with other believers that you might have a quarrel with, others are watching. Others are seeing how you respond in that situation to see if you're going to let your light shine or not. Whether or not you're going to be living the mundane Christian life. So, number two, it pleases God when there is reconciliation and peace among God's people. We just saw that. You know what Psalm 133 1 says? How sweet or how great it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. That's how you become of one mind. That's how you become of one speech that Philippians 2 talks about. 1 Corinthians 1, similar cross-reference. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. Do you see the connection there? How he says you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, which means and indicates that a lot of divisions that happen within youth ministries and within churches altogether are because people are speaking different things. James chapter 3, I'm telling you guys, go home, read that chapter. This little three-inch muscle in between our teeth can be one of the most powerful weapons in all of the planet. So much so that the Bible says in James 3 that our tongues can be set on fire with hell. In one day, we're blessing God with this mouth, and another day, we're cursing somebody else with it. He compares it to a spring that has both bitter and sweet water out of it. It doesn't happen. That is unnatural to have one spring... Shoot bitter water and fresh water out of it. It's unnatural. He compares that with our tongues. When we bless people one day, and curse them the next. If that's unnatural, what kind of an abomination is it when we do that? That ye'll speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly mature, Join together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If we're not of one accord, we're not going to get anywhere. If we're not all on the same page, it's just going to be us until you guys graduate and until the next class graduates. And yeah, maybe we'll get more junior hires, but you know what that is? That is the kind of growth that is this way, longwise, lengthwise. It's not the growth that God cares about which is going deeper. Not having bodies come in that way, but because that's just addition. When you look at the book of Acts, and we looked at the book of Acts, as we did our intro to church history, God is interested in multiplication. Us going out, preaching the gospel to the lost... Seeing them saved, getting them plugged into a local ministry where they can grow and be discipled for them to go out and do the exact same thing. That is how we grow. If we don't grow, our growth is going to be stunted. And we're not going to get anywhere. Number three, let's close out this book. Verse 22. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. The mediator is saying he's coming back. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, verse 24, and Marcus, John Mark, which if you don't know the story behind that, listen to this past Sunday's podcast. Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, and also his fellow prisoners, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Point three, Paul vows to return to Philemon with a promised seal. I shall be given unto you. He seals the letter and sends it off you guys ever see like during the victorian era where like whenever someone would send a letter they would take stink i should have done it as a visual that'd be cool we would probably get wax everywhere but Ooh, I'm gonna make you clean it up caleb Where they take like a, a like a candlestick and then they light the end of it and then they like they put the envelope down we should have done that with the cards tonight oh i wish i would have known man that would have been great those of you listening to the podcast you have absolutely no idea what we're talking about it's okay gotta move on But they would take the candlestick, let's try this again, take the candlestick, light it up, and then the envelope would go down, and they would put the wax on it, because then they didn't have the glue to lick the envelope and seal it, so you had hot wax to seal the envelope down, and then someone would take an insignia, and they would put their stamp on it, they would seal it down, and that's kind of like us. That's kind of like us. Because in Ephesians 1.13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were what? Can everybody see that? Did everybody lose your place? Do I need to reread it? Mm-hmm. Sealed! Good job! With that Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed. When you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that He places His Spirit in you and you are sealed until that day of redemption when He calls you home. It's just like you put a letter in an envelope. It's a picture of Christ, the Holy Spirit, going inside of our body. We are the envelope. And then He seals us. I guess it's actually more like Christ is within us and then He seals us with the Spirit protecting us. Forgive me, I'm coming up with the analogy right now. But that's kind of what it's like. He seals us. And it means that you cannot be open. That letter is not going to fall out of the envelope until the recipient cuts it open and opens it up and takes the letter out. It's only after the recipient of the letter gets the letter that then it's going to be opened. We are sealed until his return. Jesus Christ is going to be returning and He's coming to take us with Him to that day of redemption. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. we got to see this. What do I mean? How does this apply to the book of Philemon? How is Paul coming again with the sealed? A picture of the saved. Colossians chapter 4. Can I get a reader for verses 8 and 9? Kept teasing this verse all night long. Here's the big payoff. Megan, go ahead. Who might have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Did anybody catch it? Who is Paul sending to the church in Colossae? Onesimus, the runaway. And in his journey, Onesimus would have with him two letters. One is the book of Colossians. And you see what it said there? Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? not really affirmed anywhere else in scripture but there's a good good possibility that the church in Philemon's house was the church of Colossae because Onesimus was one of them and Onesimus belonged to Philemon and so here I mean can you picture it This runaway, this person who wronged his rightful owner, and against him and him alone did he sin against, he returns with two letters in his hand, not knowing if he's going to get his head lopped off or not. And for those of you who had gone and swallowed your pride and made things right with another believer, you kind of feel the same way. Am I going to lose my head or not? Can you imagine... Philemon looking on, getting ready, probably calling the executioners forward. And then he gets a life-saving letter. Words that transformed his life and others' lives. Man. So you see, when Paul returned, when he got out of prison, he sent... A sealed saint, Onesimus, with a sealed letter to Philemon. And they reconciled. Man, this is why we compare scripture with scripture, to see these things taking place. Point number two, and we'll finish here the application. This mighty letter shows us that the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus has the power to make servants free, and to turn free men into servants. That was the ultimate point that was made to Philemon. I have verse 19 up here on the screen for you guys again, so you don't have to turn back. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, the debt that Onesimus owed. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, unto thine own self, besides... Philemon owed Paul a debt. He was in debt to Paul for whatever it was. And Paul's using it as leverage. And if you don't follow through with this man, I might have to pull that card on you. I might have to pull Trump. And 1 Corinthians 7, don't miss this verse. This is I love how Paul words this. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. You can even just use the word servant to mean slave. When you see yourself as a slave to the Lord, God, whatever your will is, I'm going to do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. It's not my life, it's your life. When you reckon yourself as the Lord's servant, then you're actually free. That's when you don't feel like you're in this yoke of bondage that I have to serve here, or I have to go talk to this person, or I have to carry my Bible. Uh Uh-uh. No, it becomes so freeing. To you when you cross over that Jordan, and when you realize and reckon that I am a slave to serve the Lord, it's freeing. It has this reverse opposite weird effect that you wouldn't think it has. But likewise, also, he that is called being free, and all of us who are saved, we're free. But when we start living like that, when we start living as though it's our life, that Jesus gave us eternal life for us to enjoy and do whatever we want, and to not care at all for what He wants to do, then you're Christ's servant. Things are going to be a slodge to you. They're not going to be enjoyable. And he says later in chapter 9, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. When you become a slave to the Lord and say, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord, you will gain many, many people for Christ. You will reach your lost family members and your lost friends at school. It will happen. That was the point of this letter. Letter B, when you don't forgive others, you lose sight of the freedom you've gained and you become a slave back to bondage again. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, check those verses out later, but he says at the end of it that we are to forgive others because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We can't forget how much we've been forgiven. We can't forget that God doesn't hold grudges with us anymore. He took all of our sin and cast it into the deep. As far as east is from west, it's no more. It's gone. You're forgiven. When we don't forgive others and have unrealistic expectations upon them that God doesn't even have for us, that's when you're going to find yourselves in chains again. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, it says, Follow peace with some men, all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fall of the grace of God. And look how he ends this. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Goodness, we were just at, uh, actually your guys' cousins, well, your brother, your cousin's uh, grad party, and riders running around, and he trips over this root that just so happened to break up over the ground and then go back down into the ground. But it's this root that was on this tree and fell and busted his lip. And the Bible says that that's what bitterness is like. When you're bitter and angry towards another believer, it's going to spring up and it's going to trouble you. You're going to trip over yourself and you're going to fall and you're going to bust your face up and it's going to be all mashed and mangled. You want to live like that? I don't. And Paul cared enough about Philemon. He didn't want him living that way either. Letter C. see. We can't forget what we've been called. We can't forget we've been called to be servants, sorry, of the grace of God to the body of Christ. You can check out Ephesians 4 later. Ugh. But 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, you've all been given gifts, whether it be the gift of salvation or just the gifts and talents that God has gifted you with. What makes you, you? Even so, minister the same, those gifts, one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And you know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.1 about stewards? Number one, it's all of us who are saved in here. But number two, a steward is required to be found faithful. You're going to give an account one day when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of how you treated each other. Of how you treated your other brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the church. Did you minister your gifts to them? Or did you have bitterness towards them? If so, Philemon is a great book to help you overcome that bitterness. That's how you become a peculiar person. Let's pray.